Turn over to the prophet Isaiah. The Lord is leading me to teach or preach on the major prophets, which is Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. Uh, for a little while, okay? It's going to be an overview. It's not going to be real microscopic. It's more telescopic, okay? Um, tonight's going to be an introduction about prophecy, what a prophet is, what prophecy is, how it works, how it functions, so on and so forth, okay? <clears throat> All right, now, uh, to the church as a whole, all of you are pretty much Bible scholars. No, seriously, I mean, you know, sometimes I joke about that, but y'all are pretty serious Bible students, and I do mean that sincerely, okay? Uh, but a lot of the things I'm going to be saying tonight, I probably wouldn't say to just the church in general, but I'm going to be saying a lot of things for the preachers, Okay? And so I encourage if you are a minister of the Word of the Lord to take notes on this introduction. Alright? Amen. Some of the words I'm going to be using probably going to bore some of you to tears, but if you're a preacher, you'll be excited about it. You know. Uh, so anyway, it's sort of geared for ministry, or preachers, pulpit preachers, but I think it will bless everybody, okay? Amen. Isaiah chapter 1. Verse 1 says, The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Amen. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to rest upon the preaching of your holy word. We pray, God, that you'd inspire us with your spirit, Father God, to declare it. I depend upon you, Lord, tonight to quicken your word to us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> Alright, so once again, if you're a minister of the Word of the Lord, please take notes or have somebody take notes for you or you can always get the tape in the future. Alright, I will not be really breaking down the prophet Isaiah for you tonight. I'm going to lay some groundwork as to prophecy, how it works, what prophecy is, what a prophet is, so on and so forth. Okay, everybody with me on that? Alright. Amen. If you'll say amen every once in a while, it'll help me keep going. Amen. If you don't say amen, I'm probably just going to fold my book and go home because I probably won't be doing too good. Okay? I'm very nervous. Very nervous. Alright, first of all, let's talk about prophetic literature. Prophetic literature. Most of the time when the church deals with prophecy, now when we talk about prophecy, 
most people look at prophecy, first of all, apologetically, which means is that the prophets were saying, uh, God has in mind Jesus. That is correct. In the prophecies, in Hebrews chapter 1, the Bible talks about how God spoke in diverse manners, sundry times in diverse manners through the prophets. But in these last days has spoken to us by Son. That simply means that the prophets, their poems, their visions, their dreams, their dress, acting out their prophecies before the people, was pointing to the Son, Jesus Christ. And so today, He's the fulfillment of the prophets. And that's why God today is speaking through Son language. Jesus Christ is the Word. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets. Okay? So when you say apologetic, that is the church looks at prophecy from this understanding that God had Jesus in mind throughout all of the prophecies of the prophets. Correct statement. Okay? Number two. When we talk about prophecy, a lot of people get excited about the prophets because now the preacher is going to teach you about the end times and what that means for us. It's called eschatology. Eschatology means the study of last things or the study of last days. So a lot of times when preachers preach prophecy, They focus on eschatology, the end times, what it means for us, okay? Everybody wants to know, what does the future hold? So, a lot of times when they go to the prophets, their focus is eschatology, end times, how it is going to affect us, okay? Where are we in the last days? Those are both correct ways to approach the Word of God. Those two deal with fulfillment. Apologetics and eschatology deal with fulfillment of the prophecy. Now, the third one I'm going to mention, which is the most important one, is when you study the prophets or you're reading the prophets yourself, you study the prophets The main reason is that the prophets are written to reveal God to you. It is God revealing Himself to us. That is the most important thing to understand when you're reading all the prophets. Okay? The first two deal with fulfillment. The third one deals with the message of the prophet. And that is to reveal God to the people. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? Okay? Amen. Now, so when I start talking about prophecy, oh, the pastor's going to tell us what's what's happening in the last days. And, you know, we're going to get the newspaper today and we're going to compare it with the Word of God. We're going to say, look, this is where we are in the Bible. Okay, that, I mean, that's eschatology. Or how the prophets, Jesus fulfilled the prophecies. That's uh, apologetics, fulfillment. But I want you to understand 
that when those prophets preached, a lot of the things that they preached about, a lot of things that they said, they didn't even have a clue that there was a future fulfillment. Because when they prophesied, it was about God revealing Himself to His people. You understand? And it was about what was going on in their present day. So that the prophet's focus, the prophets themselves, was not fulfillment or how the prophecy was going to be fulfilled. The prophet's focus was the message. What is God speaking? Okay? Because as I said, as they preached the message, that was their focus more than... In fact, again, the prophets didn't even know how their, what they were saying was going to be fulfilled. So their focus was not on how it was going to be fulfilled. Their focus was God. A revelation of God to the people. What is God speaking? They were the spokesmen of God, the messengers of God to the people. You understand what I'm saying? The prophets themselves, and I'll go back and I'll repeat this in, later on. The prophets themselves, when they preached the message, okay, revealing God to the people and and seeking to lead the people to repentance or whatever, to turn or return to God. Those prophets, again, were not even concerned about. They really didn't even think about fulfillment. With the exception of a few. It's not until you get to the New Testament that another authoritative office comes along called the Apostle. And it's the Apostle that reveals how the message was fulfilled. What I'm trying to tell you is that when a prophet prophesied in the Old Testament, their concern was not how is it going to be fulfilled. They didn't for the most part even know how it was going to be fulfilled. They just saw it. It applied to their day and their time and they declared it to the people. The message was the focus. And then the apostle comes along in the future New Testament age and says, this is the way the prophets are fulfilled. You understand what I'm telling you? Okay. That doesn't mean a prophet cannot in, uh, also get a revelation of how the prophecy is going to be fulfilled. But most of the time, they didn't even know they were prophesying about future events. Most of the time, they didn't even know how it was going to be fulfilled. It was about preaching to a people in a present situation a message from God that later on in New Testament times, the apostles come along and say, hey, the prophet's being fulfilled this way. Does that make sense? Alright. <clears throat> prophets, modern day prophets, get in trouble. They get in trouble. Let me tell you how they get in trouble. Number one, they think that when God shows them something, that they have to have the ability to explain how it's all going to be fulfilled. 
And it may not even come close. The fulfillment may not even be the same as what they saw in the vision. And so what they'll do, they'll have a vision from God and they'll say, this is going to happen and this is going to happen and everybody thinks, okay, it's going to happen to me tomorrow. They don't realize that the, the, when God reveals His Word to the prophet, most of the time they don't know how it's going to be fulfilled. It takes an apostle to come along and say, this prophecy is being fulfilled right now. This way. And it might not even look like what you thought it was going to be. So prophets get in trouble today because they try to uh, declare how the prophecy that God has given them is going to be fulfilled. Number two, the way they get in trouble is because they try to put a time frame on their prophecies. Now their prophecy may be very accurate, but they miss the timing. It may not be God's time for them to declare that vision. It may not be God's time for, for them to declare the dream. Okay, do you understand? They may be saying something's going to happen and say it's going to happen tomorrow, but it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's going to happen a year from now. So they can get in trouble trying to interpret how the vision is going to be fulfilled or setting a time on it that doesn't happen. Does everybody understand that? Okay, so let me go back. Eschatology deals with fulfillment. Last days, how they apply to us today. Apologetics. God had Jesus in mind. That's also fulfillment. You understand? But the prophets, when they preached in their day, their focus was not fulfillment. Their focus was message. Okay? Everybody with me here? If you are, say praise the Lord. Alright, we'll get more into that in just a minute. I'll explain that to you more as we go. Other than just to say this, when you're reading the prophets, if you're looking, okay, when's, when, when was this fulfilled? When is this going to be fulfilled? I got caught up in that trap. When I first started reading the prophets, I read Isaiah. I go to my pastor and I say, Pastor, I'm having a hard time figuring out when did this happen? Did it happen in the prophet's day? Did it happen in Jesus' day, Paul's day, Peter's day, John's day? Is it happening in our day or is it going to happen in the future? Okay? What I'm trying to tell you is if you look at prophecy only trying to figure out when things are going to be fulfilled, last day events, eschatology, you're going to go, you're going to, you won't get nothing out of the prophets. Because you think it's all about the future. When you read the prophets, you need to ask yourself, these are, these are spokesmen for God. They're speaking to the present. That means they'll talk about the past. But in talking about the past, it's about how it affects the present. Amen, amen, they'll talk about the present. Amen. Obviously, how it affects the present. And even if they talk about the future, 
if they talk about the future, it's still going to be used to get them to focus on the present. So their message was all about the present. God is speaking a message to His people right now. Okay, so let's talk about the prophet. What is a prophet? A biblical prophet. Okay, let me ask you a question. What's the focus of the prophets? The message, right? We'll talk about that. We'll break it down in a minute. What was their message? Secondarily, what do you call eschatology and apologetics? Fulfillment. Deals with fulfillment. How Jesus fulfilled it and what's going on in the end times. Okay. All right, let's talk about the prophets. Uh, what is a prophet? When you think about a prophet, again, if you're thinking about somebody that can predict the future, then you want to go up and say, hey, what's happening to me tomorrow? All right? Can you tell? I don't. Listen, if you got that gift, don't tell me what's happening to me tomorrow. I mean, if God's got a word for me, give it to me. But don't come over here and try to explain how it's going to happen because oftentimes if it don't happen, then I'm going... Okay, anyway. Okay, a prophet then. When you think about a prophet, you want to think, well, tell us the end times. Tell us what's coming in the future. Be a fortune teller to us. A biblical prophet, Old Testament and New Testament, is not a fortune teller. What is the difference between an, uh, a prophet of the Lord and a fortune teller? Well, you can look in Ezekiel. I believe it's Ezekiel chapter 21. What the fortune tellers would do are the, what they call divination. People who are trying to know what God is saying or doing. Divination. They would take arrows, throw them on the ground, and depending on how the arrows fell out on the ground, they would say, okay, God is telling you to do this. Divination. Divination is using magic. Divination is using some kind of ritual to determine what God is doing. Magic or ritual. Now, so throw the arrows on the ground. Magic. Or they would read livers. They would cut the liver out of a sheep. And um, kings all over the world, nations have prophets. Not just Israel. But all nations had prophets in the court of their kings. And those prophets in other nations, not Israel use divination to determine the will of God for their king. Magic or rituals. So throwing arrows on the ground or reading the liver, cutting the liver out of a sheep. And then they would read the liver. Okay? Now there would be like 
you know, cracks in the liver. And if the livers, if the crack in the liver was in a certain direction, when they read it, they said, okay, king, go forward. Because the crack's saying to go forward. I'm serious. Or some, or a bump. I mean, these are natural occurrences in the liver. The crevices, the cracks, and the bumps on the liver. These are all natural things. All right? So if the crevice or the crack said one thing, they said, okay, you do this. I mean, they had a book. It was all figured out. And if the bump, if the bumps on the liver naturally were on one side of the liver, they read their book and the, and the liver said, okay, the bumps are over here, so don't do it. If the bumps are over here, do it. I mean, okay. I mean, so that's magic. That's called divination. When you talk about a prophet in the Word of God, these men and women were not given to magic and ritual practices to predict the future. A prophet of God, Israel's prophets, the prophets of the true God, were people who God had put His Word inside of them. And they spoke as representatives of God. They were God's press secretary. They didn't get up and say their own words. When they spoke, they spoke as the press secretary for God. Like a press secretary when he would stand. You know, he stands today, press secretary of the president. He'll stand and he'll, he represents the president of the United States to the press. And the press is asking him all kinds of questions. He either has to say what the president told him to say word for word, or he has to say in some manner or some form a representation of what the president says. But he can never stand up and say what he wants to say it can't be his own words. So the prophets, when they came forth, they were the press secretaries of God Almighty. That means they ever they, they either spoke directly what God said, or they spoke a representation of what God said. Never did they say their own words to the people when they were preaching. Do you understand that? All right, everybody with me here. So the difference then, in the pagan prophets is they were involved in divination, uh, magic and rituals to determine the mind of their gods. But the true prophet of God is God's spokesman. It's God's representative. It's God's intermediator. Intermediary. In intermediary. That means the go-between. Speaking for God. Bringing God's speech to the people. Do you understand what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Not saying their own words. Now, why were prophets necessary? Originally, God spoke to man one-on-one. -on -one. He spoke to Adam one-on-one. -on -one. There was no intermediary. There was no in-between person. It was God speaking directly to the person. But something changed. 
The Bible talks about in the book of Exodus, the 20th chapter, that when the people saw the thundering and the lightning at Mount Sinai, they saw the power of God. They said, Moses, would you go talk to God for us? Because normally when somebody speaks to God, God kills them. So how about it, Moses? Why don't you go talk to God for us? Because we kind of like to live. And so the prophets were people who heard from God, talked to God, and God talked to them. And then they went forth and they declared the mind, the will, the plan, the message of God to the people. It wasn't their own thoughts. And if they didn't do what God told them to do, God killed them. And if they did do what God told them to do, the people killed them. So either way, you're in bad shape. If you're a prophet, you're going to end up dead one way or the other. Prophets are wanted, but pro prophets are needed, but prophets are never wanted. Okay, say amen. Alright. So that prophet then is not a fortune teller. Although God would speak to them prophetically things to come about future events. Show them future events. You understand? Amen? Amen? They were concerning future events foretellers. That means as, as uh, they looked in the future and God showed them the future to come, they were foretelling the future. They are saying, it's coming down the road. This is coming down the road to us. That's foretelling. Right? Everybody with me here? Okay, say praise the Lord. Say amen. That's going to help you stay awake. Alright, foretelling. God, the focus is the plan of God. Say the plan of God. So when they looked in the future, how is the plan of God going to be fulfilled? That's foretelling. Forthtelling. Forthtelling is preaching to the people about the now. Saying what's going on now is not good if you don't want this future judgment to come on you as they foretold in the future like when Jonah preached 40 yet 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed he was foretelling in the future an example in Jonah 40 days the judgment of God's coming foretelling he starts preaching what you're doing is wrong if you will repent, that means change the now. When you change the now, you will not have the future judgment. So they would come and they would foretell judgment to come and they would be foretellers, preach to the people about the present and tell them, we've got to change what's going on right now. I've got to get you to head to a different destination. That means you got to return to God. You got to repent. You got to get right with God. You're doing something that's wrong. But I'm going to tell you what God requires 
And if you'll do, if you'll make it right now, you won't experience the future. But if you keep doing what you're doing now, you're going to experience the judgment of God. So that's good news. Anybody here tonight, if you're not doing what is right, I will declare to you by the word of the Lord, judgment is coming on you. But I'm telling you now, if what you're doing is wrong, if you will repent and return to God and change your now, then you will not have to experience the judgment of the living God. So that's when I, when I tell you, we're doing wrong. Or the Word of God says we're doing wrong. And this is what we need to do to make it right. When we do that, that's called foretelling. I'm giving you a message from God. I'm telling you the changes have to take place, okay? Because if not, judgment's coming. So that's foretelling dealing with the now. And foretelling deals with the future, okay? Somebody said amen. Amen. Now, a prophet in the Bible, we get the term prophet because it comes from the Greek term prophetis. prophetis. Um, I know I'm not pronouncing it exactly right. But prophetess, we bring it straight over into prophet. Okay? Hebrew terms though. Old Testament terms. <clears throat> When God talked about the man, the prophet, number one, he was called a man of God. Now what does that mean? Man of God. It means that, here we go. We have God at the top. He is the focal point. He is the origin of everything that's going to be said. So it's God. Okay, watch. Another thing. Preachers get in big trouble because they put themselves on top. You understand? Say, say they started out, they got a small church. Pretty soon that church is a mega church. And they get so full of themselves that they think they're number one. They're on top. Never. You are headed for danger. You are headed for spiritual suicide. If it becomes about you. It always has to be God is at the top. Where's the prophet? The intermediary. In the middle. And then where's the people? God, the prophet, and the people. Okay, so here we go. When the Bible called the prophets man of God, that means that they were under the authority of God. Amen. Under the authority of God. You are a man of God. The authority that you have is God's authority. Okay? They were called the servants of the Lord. The servants of the Lord. That meant that they were under God, obviously, self-explanatory, serving the Lord. Okay? Servants of the Lord. Now, 
Hebrew term, the Nabi, or you'll see it sometimes N-A-B-I, Nabi or Nabi. That's the Hebrew term translated prophet in English. The Nabi or the Nabi, with, that means to bubble forth. The Spirit of the Lord would, would uh, give them His message and it would be as if it was bubbling forth out of them. Okay? Nabi, prophet. Go to 1 Samuel 9 and verse 9. doing okay? Okay, 1 Samuel 9. Verse 9. Now, as you go through the Word of God, you'll see prophets are in progression. Even the way they were titled, what they were called was progressive. 1 Samuel 9, 9. Before time in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, Thus he spake, come and let us go to the, to the what? To the seer. The one who sees. For he that is now called a prophet was before time called a seer. So that office of prophet, there was a time when they weren't called prophets, they were called seers. Okay? The first, okay, the term prophet, Nabi, Nabi. The other term seer means to see. Say to see. Everybody with me? Okay, let me give you this term. It's Jose, H-O-Z-E-H is how you spell it. Jose, H-O-Z-E-H, which means a vision. Okay? And then R-O-E-H Ro-E which means seer or to see. Okay. Everybody with me? Alright. So it was a prophet, Nava. It was Jose, visionary. They had a vision from God. It was Ro-E which means a seer or to see. Are you with me up to this point? Okay, now, the next thing we need to see about a prophet is that they were preachers. Okay? They didn't just have visions. They didn't just see the future. They were, you know, prophet messengers of God. They were preachers. Say with me, they were preachers. Now, what does that mean? If, if I say, okay, you say, I, you know, I say, are you a preacher? You're a preacher. So we think, okay, that means he teaches the Word of God. Um, well, a teacher teaches. Does it make sense? A teacher teaches. Now, prophets teach, but when I talk about a prophet as a preacher, a prophet as a preacher deals with rhetoric. What is rhetoric? 
You hear even this term used concerning politicians. Right now, you've got a couple of people running for president of the United States and they're they're caught up in rhetoric. You hear the president of the United States using rhetoric. A preacher is somebody who uses rhetoric. The word means to persuade the people. They do teach the people. They give them understanding concerning the Word of God. But a preacher's most important challenge is to persuade people. It's persuasive. It's called rhetoric. And the way a preacher, when brother stands up here and preaches, you'll notice, every preacher that stands up and preaches, he doesn't just teach you the Word of God. He's trying to persuade you. A politician can use rhetoric. Why? To persuade you. To agree with his viewpoint. A preacher gets up and he preaches to persuade you, amen, to hear God. And to live for the Lord. And to serve God. That's what rhetoric is. It's persuasive language. Now, so the preacher or the prophet as the preacher then when they stand up, male or female, and they're uh, preaching to you the Word of God, they are persuaders. Okay? And they use number one, logos. Logos means rational thinking or rational argument. Now you, God help me, you hear some people talking today, politicians talking today, they don't use rational thought. They don't use rational thinking, rational arguments. It's, it's, it's insanity. Okay, but let me explain to you what I mean. When the prophets use rhetoric, that means seeking to persuade the people, they use logos, which is rational arguments. Let me give you an example. Go to 1 Samuel, I mean Isaiah 7, which is the prophet will be teaching you. In Isaiah 7, verse 9. Here comes the prophets. Logos. Rational argument. Let me explain to you what I mean. Okay? I got a mathematician sitting up here on the front chair. He knows geometry. Right? I'm not going to go there. But if you do X, if you do X, you can expect Y. Right? If you do this, this is what's going to happen. So the prophets come along as they preach. They are persuading the people. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. Rational thinking. Rational argument. Look at what Isaiah says in 7-9. And the head of Ephraim in Samaria, and the head of, or sorry, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. Here we go. If you will not believe, 
this is what you're going to get. Surely you shall not be established. Basic. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. If you don't believe, God's not going to establish you. Logical thinking. So plain. How's that fulfilled in the future? The message. If you do this, this is what's going to happen to you. Okay, I'm going to do it anyway. If you do X, Y is coming. If you don't believe, you won't be established. Go to Amos chapter 5. Verse 6. Everybody there? Okay, seek the Lord. And you shall what? Live. What's he doing? He's persuading the people through logical argument. If you do this, seek the Lord, what's going to happen? You're going to live. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, the pro- really, prophets are really not that hard to understand. Look at what they're doing. Rational arguments. Do one thing, you'll get another. Okay, that's persuasion. The next thing they would use is pathos. P-A-T-H-O-S. Pathos. With me? Go to Hebrews 13. 11. Yeah, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11.3. Look at it. Pathos. Hosea. Everybody with me? All the preachers with me? Okay. Hosea 11. Look at this pathos. Now what is pathos? Pathos means emotion. When they're preaching, they're not just giving you logical argument. If you do this, this is going to happen to you. They come with emotion. They're going to pull at your heartstrings. God comes in pathos in this chapter. He said, I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms, but they knew not that I healed them. I drew them with cords of a man with bands of love, and I was to them as they that take off the yoke on their jaws, and I laid meat unto them. God, His heartstring is pulling at their heartstring. God says, You're like a little kid to me. You're like a little child to me. In those days, they would take, when they're trying to teach their children how to walk, they'd, they'd tie strings to their hands and hold them up and teach them how to walk. God said, I'm like a father to you. You're like a child. I taught you how to walk. I fed you. I took care of you. And look how you're acting. You see, so then it pulled on their heartstring. God is like a father to us. 
He's taking care of us like children. Amen. He's been good to us while you're acting like you are. See the prophets coming with pathos. And the, the last one in persuasion that they would use is ethos. E-T-H-O-S. Ethos. And that simply means based on their character. In Amos chapter 7, the prophet comes along. We've taught all these prophets to you before. So y'all are familiar with, with much of what I'm saying as far as what's in the Bible. Now, in the seventh chapter, Amen. In verse 14, now this is chapter 7, he's got the vision of the plumb line. <laughs> the Lord recently talked to me, not, and in fact, I thought about preaching this on a sun, last Sunday night, but the Lord led me differently. But the Lord showed me there is a plumb line that's been dropped into this sanctuary. Okay? And in some people's lives, the wall is leaning. It's not true. Okay? Now, we talk about the plumb line. That means the wall's leaning. It's not true. That's where you get it in the seventh chapter of the book of Amos. But anyway, the point being, ethos. He comes in ethos. Amos does. What does he say? He said in verse 14, Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdman and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, Go prophesy unto my people Israel. You see what He's doing? He says, You need to believe what I'm saying. Why? Because of His character. He says, I'm not a prophet and I'm not the son of a prophet. He said, I was a pincher of sycamore fruit. He said, I was a herdman that led the flock. He said, I'm not a professional preacher, number one. And I'm not in it for the money. And so based on this ethos, the fact that I'm not a professional preacher, and I'm not in it for the money. Then you need to believe what I'm telling you because I don't want to be here. You hear what I'm saying? So what he's basically saying, I don't want to do what I'm doing. I don't even want to be here doing what I'm doing. I'm not a professional preacher. I'm not the son of a professional preacher. I'm not in it for the money. And because I don't even want to be here, I don't even want to do this, but, be, but God said to me, go and prophesy to Israel. He said because of that, that character, He said, you need to believe what I'm saying to you. Okay? That's heavy, man. See, these men of God that were truly called of God, they didn't... You've got some professional preachers out there. They want to do it for occupation reasons. 
They go to school to become a professional preacher. They uh, do it for occupation reasons. It's all about the money and nothing else. And you got some preachers that don't even want to do it and wouldn't even be here if God hadn't said, go and prophesy to my people. And, he, and so what Amos is saying, he's, he's relying on rhetoric, ethos, to tell the people, look at the character. And because of the kind of person Amos was, he said, you need to listen to what I'm saying. Okay? Now, the Apostle Paul did the same thing in Philippians chapter 3. He gives his credentials. Philippians 3, 4 through 6. Okay, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. What things were gained to me, those I count lost for Christ. Paul's doing the same thing. He's relying on his character. He's saying, based on these credentials, you need to listen to what I'm telling you. You need to believe what I'm telling you based on the credentials. But he said, I count all these things lost. For Christ. Okay, so you get it. So here comes the prophets then as preachers. They come to persuade the people. They're relying on logos, logical argument. If you do this, you'll get this. They come with pathos, emotion, pulling at the heartstring. They come with ethics. Those based on their character, what kind of people they were. Do you understand? Amen. Amen. Okay, for the sake of the preachers, I'm going to go through a couple other things here for you. When you're involved in persuading the people in these areas, you're going to begin to organize your message. When you organize your message. Now, as Holy Ghost preachers, we really don't think about this. I don't sit down and think, okay, tonight I'm going to talk about how, you know, what my credentials are. Or the lack thereof. I really don't even think about that. I really don't think about how I'm going to try to pull at your heartstrings. Some people do. They talk about the dog that died yesterday. Don't have nothing to do with God. But they know if they talk about the dog that died yesterday, everybody's going to cry about Shep that died. They plant it. Okay. And uh, yeah, I know most preachers do when they organize, think about, okay, I'm going to preach this, I'm going to tell them if they do this, they'll get this. But when you start preaching, and again, all the saints can go to sleep, and I'm just talking to the preachers. If you're inclined to think about, all right, I'm going to use rhetoric to persuade the people. So how am I going to function in logos? If you do this, you'll get this. How am I going to function in pathos, emotion? How am I going to function in ethos? 
Okay? Persuading based on my character. I really don't think about that as a Holy Ghost preacher. I think all of that comes to fruition as it's preached just by the Holy Ghost it happens. Okay? But when you look at the prophets, we don't know how they organized all of that because all we have is the written prophets. We don't know how they organized the logos, pathos, and ethos. And we don't know how they did it. We just have the record. Okay. But if you're a preacher, you know, you might consider organizing the, these uh, that I've just gone over. The next one's E-L-E-C-U-T-I-O. Elocutia, which means style of presentation. Okay? Style of presentation. Who am I speaking to? That's so important, I think. Because if you're speaking to children, to little children, you're probably not going to get up and teach them on what I'm teaching today. The little kids are going to look at you and go, You know what I mean? So you got to think about who you're talking to. That's why I begin the message now to tell you that most of this is for preachers. And I'm going to bore the snot out of the rest of you. Alright? So you're going to preach. Then, who am I speaking to? Are they children? If they're children, there's a certain presentation. you got to get down on their level. Amen. When I speak to young people, you know, I try to get down on their level. I speak to children, try to get down on their level. Are you with me? I speak to adults. Any adults out there? If you are, lift your hand. That way we all know. Then, then, then I'm going to come and present. The presentation is going to be like I'm speaking to adults. Okay. Amen. That's important, I think, to know who you're talking to. Alright? That's simply called E-L-E-C-U-T-I-O. Elocutio. However. Okay. It has to do with the physical presentation or the theater. So when you're speaking to children, you got the flannel graph out. And you put Abraham on the flannel graph and, or no, you put Moses and Sarah. Um, had it right the first time. You put Abraham and Sarah. Correct? On the flannel graph. You say, that's Abraham, that's Sarah. Right? Oh, the little kids, yeah, this is cool. That's called, that's presentation. Or you got the puppets going on. Now, if I come out here with a flannel graph and I say to y'all, this is Abraham, this is Sarah, I've missed my audience. Come out here with puppets, y'all would probably like it. You know, you gotta, you gotta consider the audience. The theater is, is what we're talking about here, the presentation. Amen. You're dealing with little children. 
You might want to break the monkeys out. Riding on bikes. But hopefully when we get in here, I don't have to bring the monkeys in. Hallelujah. You deal with children. You deal with teens. You know, teens, man. You can't, you can't expect if you're a, a, a teenager a youth leader to get up and preach like pastor preaches and expect the youth group not to go to sleep on you. The presentation is totally different, man. You've got to beat your brains out. You've got to go bananas. You've got to be crazy, man. Hallelujah. You got to think about who you're teaching. Okay? Now, for all you adults out there, when little children get together, they're going to talk like little children. And everybody look at me. And if you're worried about every conversation that a little child is going to have with a little child, I tell you what you need to do. You need to get your child and put them in a bubble. There's no way that you, you, the audience, you can't govern everything they're going to do and say, right? That snot running down their nose. Come on. Who's your audience? That's going to determine the theater, the sympathy, how you work with it. Okay, all right, let me go on. I'm going to, I'm going to be here too long if I don't. Next thing, memory. Now really, we didn't really see in the prophets as we studied them, we don't really see the, the theater or the physical delivery uh, of the way the prophets did it. Always. Sometimes we do. Anyway, next thing, memory. Question is, do I memorize the whole message? Or do I bring notes? Amen? I don't know how the prophets did it because it's, it's not told us how they did it. It doesn't tell us that they preached from notes. It doesn't tell us that they memorized their message. We have the written. So as far as how they did it, I, I'm not sure. I like to memorize what I'm going to preach. Amen? You have to determine how you're going to organize the logos, the pathos and the ethos and put it all together. Are you going to memorize it? Or are you going to bring notes to the pulpit? That's part of preaching. Okay? Now like tonight, i got to bring some notes because I'm covering so many different areas. But when I'm preaching from the Word, I like to just let the Holy Ghost flow. You know? And hopefully tonight, the Holy Ghost is going to flow even in this. But I don't know how the prophets did it. They memorized everything. I know they spoke by inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And then the third thing is presentation, which is delivery. How did they deliver it? Again, it's written, so I'm not sure how they delivered it. But many, many Hebrew scholars said that every Old Testament prophet, when they stood up, they sang their prophecies. So that if you, if you knew the tone of that prophet... You didn't even have to be in the congregation. You would say, that's Ezekiel right now because 
That's his musical tone when he preaches. That's Hosea over. That's Micah. That's, you know what I'm saying? Because so there is some clue as to presentation. All right, amen. So anyway, that's the preacher. That's the prophet as the preacher. And it is to persuade people to re repent, to return. Looking at the now, if it's not what it should be, let's change the now so we don't have the future judgment. Okay, amen. Say praise the Lord. All right. So basically, then that deals with what the prophet is. Again, he is a fourth teller. He tells truth about God. Has to do with the now. He's a foreteller, which is what God will do in the future. Now, prophecy is for the present. Real quick, I have a lot to say about this, but I'm just going to hit it real quick because I'm running out of time. Prophecy, say with me, is about the present. When you think about reading the prophets, you're always again thinking about what is the future hope? Prophecy is about the present. If they talk about the past, it's about the present. If they talk about the future, it's about the present. The focus is always about what's going on in the present to try to get the people to change. Okay? Amen? Now, they are giving God's plans. Ultimately, that is the purpose. It's message. Again, message. Giving God's plan for the people. Now, big terms. Locution, locution is the message of the prophet. Say the message of the prophet. Term is locution. Alright? Under locution is what is known as illocution. I-L-L-O-C-U-T-I-O-N. Illocution. Okay? Locution is the message of the prophet itself. Illocution is the way the prophet uses words to accomplish purpose. The message, obviously, is the plan of God. It's the Word of God. But illocution is the way the words are used. How they use them. Okay? message, then what is the message of the prophets? If that's the focal point, more than the fulfillment, it's the message. It reveals God. What I'm about to give you, every time you read any oracle in the prophets, if you'll ask yourself which of the four that I'm about to give you is happening in that text, you will come away with an understanding Okay, elocution. And elocution is the way the words are used. The first thing is they come with an indictment. An indictment. When you read the prophet Isaiah, the second verse, I read it to you, what does it say? Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished up and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. See? Message of the prophet. Indictment. 
This is what we're doing wrong. This is what you're doing wrong right now. Okay? After they deliver the indictment, the present day, what the people are doing wrong, the next one is judgment. Okay? So they will use the, in that message judgment, alright? Because you're doing this, this is what's going to happen to you in the future. Judgment. The third is instruction. Now you will be surprised when we study the prophets that the prophets don't spend a lot of time on instruction. You know why? Because by this time, you have the law, wisdom books that have preceded that, and they are supposed to know. They're supposed to already be instructed. So the prophets are not going to spend a lot of time on instruction. They're supposed to already know it. Okay, so you have the indictment, what they're doing wrong. You have the judgment, what's coming as a result of their wrongdoing. And instruction, okay, there's some of that. Teaching them, what is instruction? If indictment is revealing what's wrong, instruction is telling them how to make things right. And then the fourth is the aftermath. And what I mean by that is the aftermath of the judgment. God will come along and He says after the judgment, there's going to be deliverance. After the judgment, there's going to be restoration. After the judgment, there's going to be recovery. That's the way the prophets are set up. Talks about the glorious future of Israel. Now sometimes the aftermath though is to let the people know there's still more trouble coming. For example, Ezekiel 38. The message of the prophet Ezekiel. It talks about the message concerning Gog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Gog of Magog. The chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Uh, what does it say, Ezekiel 38, verse 1, brother, please? The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against God, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Chief, chief, chief prince. Okay, so we look way at the end of the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 39. The aftermath of judgment, he says, Don't think that it's over yet. He said, there's still trouble coming. So, that's the way the prophets are set up. Indictment, judgment, instruction, and aftermath. And you can look at any oracle, any area of the prophets, and if you'll ask yourself which one of these it is, you can determine what the prophet's message is. Because that's the message of the prophet. That's the way it's laid out in the books. Every prophet's like that. Are you with me still? Okay. The message is what they're trying to communicate to the people. 
and the prophet doesn't understand the fulfillment or how events will unfold giving meaning to his message. Now, the fulfillment will give meaning to his message, but the prophet, as I told you before, doesn't know how it's going to unfold or how it's going to be fulfilled. He just delivers the message for the present need. Okay? Everybody here? So locution is the message. Illocution is the way the words are used or those four that I broke down for you. The way the message is delivered. What's in the message. But there's another illocution. And that is fulfillment. And the prophets were not focused on the second illocution fulfillment. The apostles came along in the New Testament like Jesus. Well, He's Jesus. Paul, Peter, John, and the apostles said, this is the way the prophet is fulfilled. Okay? God had Jesus in mind. Or, this is what's going to happen in the last days. This is what Ezekiel said, or Daniel. Right? You with me? Okay. So you have the message, and the message is only one. When the messages, when the prophets preached the message, the message was only one message. And it was based on indictment, judgment, instruction, and then the aftermath. The message. They didn't totally understand how it was going to be fulfilled. Fulfillment is a totally different authoritative identification how it's fulfilled. Mostly done by apostles. Okay? Everybody with me? Now let me give you an example of this. Daniel chapter 7. Four beasts, four kingdoms. Y'all have heard me preach on it before. One message. What is the message of these four beasts in Daniel 7? First beast coming up out of the sea is a lion. Right? Stands upon its feet. Next beast is a bear. Lifted up on one side, three ribs in its mouth. Next beast comes along. Four-headed leopard with four wings. Fourth beast comes out of the sea. A head. It's got ten horns. And another little horn comes out of the ten. And following that one is the setting up of the kingdom of God. So the message is one. Daniel, when he delivered that message, he wanted to know to, to the angel, hey, tell me about the fourth beast. How is, the, how is that fourth beast? How is it going to be fulfilled? Tell me more, angel. No, Daniel. You got everything you need to know. 
What is the message? After the Babylonian captivity, God is not going to set up His kingdom immediately at that time. There's going to be four kingdoms. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. And Rome in its final form, ten horns, one horn coming up, after that fourth kingdom. Okay? That's when God's going to set up His kingdom. That's the message. Don't miss the message and trying to figure out all how it's fulfilled. The, the, the angel said to Daniel, hey, you got everything you need to know. You don't need to know about the fourth beast. You just need to know there's going to be four kingdoms before the kingdom is set up. Amen. That means it's not coming instantly. So the focus of the prophet then was the message for that day. Alright, you with me? They didn't know. They didn't know how it was going to be ultimately fulfilled. They didn't know how it was going to unfold. And if anybody ever comes to you and tells you they know exactly, exactly how the message is going to be fulfilled, they're not from God, I promise you. Prophets like Daniel didn't even know how it was going to ultimately be fulfilled. The point was the message. Don't miss the message, okay? For example, another example, Daniel in the book of Daniel. He talks about the abomination that makes desolate. That was fulfilled in 2nd century B.C. by Antiochus Epiphanes. Right? But then Jesus in Matthew 24 comes along and He says, there's a future fulfillment. The abomination that maketh desolate. When you see Him stand in the holy place, Flee to the mountains. When Daniel preached, remember one message, but more than one fulfillment. Antiochus Epiphanes in the days, okay, of the second century BC, and then Jesus says, Hey, hey, there's more than one fulfillment to the message. Matthew 24. So there's only one message in the prophets, but there's many fulfillments. Okay? That's why the prophets primarily were not focused on fulfillment. They were focused on message. Remember Jeremiah? Prophesied in his day. He said 70 years captivity. He prophesied to people, you're going to go into captivity for 70 years. Here comes Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 and he expands it and he enlarges it and he says it's not just going to be 70 years, it's going to be 70 times 7 years or 490 years. Again, the focus was message because there's more than one fulfillment prophets did not always know how it was going to unfold. Okay? The message even of the book of Revelation when we go to the book of Revelation, right? Everybody wants, what does Revelation say? The book of Revelation is one of the easiest books in the Bible to understand. It is not hard to understand. We preached it to you multiple times. Okay? 
It's not hard to understand. The message is God coming to the church and says all these bad things are coming. These hard things are coming. Okay? Don't apostatize when they hit the world. Stay focused on the one that's sitting on the throne. And, and I mean, I, I, I enjoy, you know, trying, you know, using the Word of God to seek to how to understand eschatology, how to end times, how it applies to us in the last days. That's fulfillment. I enjoy studying the book of Revelation apologetically, how it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Amen. But remember, the book of Revelation is to reveal God to us. And if it's to reveal God to us, it's not just talking about bugs as big as Volkswagens that's going to come into the world. It's talking about the one that's sitting on the throne. It's a revelation, not of the Antichrist. It's not a revelation of the mark of the beast. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. You, you get so focused on who is the Antichrist. Mark of the beast. You get so focused on, hey, United Kingdom dropped out of Europe. What does that mean? Don't get me to cussing. I'm just, I just say, I, I don't know. You know, you almost want to put a word in front of it, but I ain't, you know, I'm a Christian. No, I'm just saying, man, it's insanity, right? Well, we've got to find out what is all this? When is this going to be fulfilled? How no, Jesus Christ is on the throne. Be encouraged. Don't backslide. Don't apostatize. In the last days, though Jesus is in control. He's sitting on the throne. He's in charge of everything. Okay, so anyway, that's the message. The message is the throne. And as far as how all the horses are going to be fulfilled, and I mean, we can give a gander at it. But we can be just as far off base as we could possibly be. Keep one message, many fulfillments. Some of y'all, okay. In the New Testament, again, I told you, y'all aren't mad at me because I said I. New Testament. Example. Prophets prophesied a message concerning the present in their day. Yes, they spoke about or foretold future things. Yes. But they didn't know how it was going to be fulfilled. They talk about Jesus Christ. Yes. They reveal God. Those first two have to do with fulfillment. Last days, eschatology, how it applies to us in the last days. Jesus Christ fulfilling the Scriptures. When they spoke it to their generation, they were speaking about God. God revealing Himself to them. Where the people were in the present. Let me give you an example. Go to Hosea again. I'm almost done. Hosea chapter 11. Y'all remember that scripture out of Egypt? Have I called my son? 
Remember that? Amen. Time is it? nine. I gotta quit. Okay. Hosea eleven one. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed unto Baalim and burned incense to graven images. I taught Ephraim also to go, taking them by their arms. But they knew not I healed them. You know what God is saying? When that prophet said that, brothers and sisters, out of Egypt have I called my son, that prophet is not thinking about a future fulfillment. When that prophet said that, the congregation he's preaching to doesn't think that's going to be fulfilled when Jesus comes. They're not even thinking about the future. He's taking a, a, a past event. Out of Egypt have I called my son. And applies it to the present. The indictment, again, the focus is not fulfillment. The focus is indictment. The indictment is, I called my son out of Egypt. I delivered you out of bondage. I was so good to you. But you didn't respond correctly. So once again, once they delivered the message, indictment, judgment, Instruction and aftermath. Once they delivered the message and applied the message, then they were looking for for prelocution. Prelocution means this. When they preach, brother, that message to their generation, they're expecting a certain response to come from those people. That's called prelocution. Okay? And what God is saying is, alright, this is the message. Here's the indictment. I brought you out of Egypt. I've been so good to you. I did I taught you how to walk. I fed you. I healed you. And your response, you did not respond well to what I did. That was the message for that present day with nothing in the mind of the prophet concerning future fulfillment. And when the prophet preached it then, using the past to affect the present, to try to get them to change the now, there was a certain response. Now look what happens. In the New Testament, the apostles, Matthew, takes it and says, look, Fulfillment with a totally different response. Matthew, look at it very fast. I, I know I'm getting long-winded. Matthew chapter 2. In 
verse 15 says this, and was he was there until the death of Herod. That means he, verse 14, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt and was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled which was spoken up. You see that? Fulfilled? Which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying out of Egypt, have I called my son? So the apostles took the prophecy, the message that the prophet meant for that day and said, there's fulfillment to this verse you didn't even know about. That's why I tell you when the prophets prophesied certain things, the way they're fulfilled may not even look like what they said. You may not realize it, but every one of you need what I'm saying. You need what I'm saying. <laughs> you get it? Okay, so what is the focus of prophecy then? The present. Use the past to, to deal with the present. If you preach the future, it's to deal with the present. Okay? Message. Prolocution is a uh, is what we're talking about. A different prolocution or different outcome in Matthew than what was in Hosea even. Okay? An unexpected fulfillment. Alright. We've already covered all of that. Very quickly. You have prophets that came before the writing prophets. The writing prophets, the time frame of the writing prophets around 750 to 500 B.C. The writing prophets like Ezekiel, Jeremiah, um, Isaiah, Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and the minor all those. Those are writing prophets. The ones that are recorded in your Bible are called writing prophets. 750 B.C. to around 500 B.C. was when they wrote. You had prophets that came before the writing prophets that were not writing prophets. In the book of Genesis, Abraham was a prophet. Let me give you the verse. Genesis 20 and verse 7. <clears throat> Remember he lied about his wife and Abimelech was taking her into his harem. <laughs> God's fixing to kill this man. And uh, so the Lord instructs Abimelech. He says, "You get Abraham to pray for you. Don't touch his. Don't touch that woman. He is a prophet of the Lord." Abimelech, get Abraham, the prophet of the Lord, to pray for you. And when he prays for you, you won't be judged. So Abraham is called a prophet there, but it doesn't say. How he's a prophet. He doesn't say that he's standing up and preaching to a congregation like this. It says, as a prophet, Abraham was an intercessor. As a prophet, Abraham could pray for you and it would suspend or stop the judgment of God from coming upon you. That's a pre, that was before the writing prophets came. All prophets didn't function just exactly the same. Some were intercessors. Some were prayer prayers. They would stop the judgment of God from coming upon you. 
God told Abimelech, you get that man to pray for you. Judgment will stop. In the book of Exodus and Numbers, when we go through the Word of God before the writing prophets, we have Moses, Exodus and Numbers, Deuteronomy 18, 14 through 15. God says, I'm going to raise up a prophet. He's not going to be like the soothsayers. He's not going to be a fortune teller. Okay? He's not going to get in magic. He's not going to be seeking the will of God by magic and, and rituals. God's going to put His Word in him. So Moses is the prophet, the example. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, 14 through 15. And then verse 18. I'm just going to give you the verse, verses. Read them later. Deuteronomy 34.10 said there's none like Moses. Acts 3.22 and then 7.37 there was no prophet like the prophet Moses. And so what was the difference? If he wasn't a soothsayer, God said, I put, I put my word in his mouth. Okay? He knows the plan of God. He speaks the word of God. He uh, has the speech of God. Exodus 15, 20-21, Miriam was a prophet. So this office of prophet is not just for men. Miriam, Miriam, the older sister of Moses, was a prophet of the Lord. And the Bible says she went out and she danced before the Lord. And also, there was a song that they sang. Amen. Amen. The Lord had triumphed gloriously over the horse and the rider, you know. And makes reference to His salvation or his, to His Yeshua. Amen. Calls the Savior by name, Yeshua. Now, some people say, well, the way she got her prophetic was because she would dance and sing. And when she would dance and sing, then she would become a prophet. No. The Bible says she was a prophet or a prophetess that sang and that danced. The singing and the dancing did not make her a prophet. She was already a prophet who sang and danced. Right? So some of y'all get hung up. I don't believe we the prophets. Miriam was a prophet. Okay. <clears throat> Numbers 11. We preached it last Sunday night. 11, 20 through, 11, 24 through 27. The Bible said the 70 elders were prophets. Plus two men in the camp. 11, 26 through 29. The Bible says they prophesied. The Bible says they were prophesied by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We don't know what they did. We don't know what they said. The Bible just says the Spirit came on there and they prophesied. Seventy plus two. It's before the writing prophets. We have examples. Um, In Numbers 22 through 24, a man named Baalim, or Balaam, he is a pagan. (laughs) He's from Mesopotamia. He is never called a prophet of the Lord in Numbers. Never. Not one time has he ever called a prophet. He is a pagan. 
He does not worship the one God of the Bible. He is a pagan. Okay? He uses divination. But God spoke to that pagan prophet. That pagan man. God spoke to him. Are you with me? Now he's like, he's like one of these prophets. Um, let me give you a term. Henotheism. H-E-N-O-T-H-E-I-S-M. Henotheism. Which means worship God. Worship gods without denying other gods. He believed in geographical, geographical deities. Okay? Real quickly. Okay. These people worship their local deities and their nation. And they believed that those deities were limited to their boundaries, to their nations. Even Jonah thought a little bit, even though he didn't believe it, but he tried to act like God was a local deity to Israel. Because <laughs> the Bible said he arose up to get away from the presence of the Lord. So he thought, if I can get away from Israel, I'll get away from the God of Israel. No, God is everywhere. And God found him in the sea. Found him out there in the ocean. But anyway. But that was the concept that there were geographical deities. So Balaam comes from Syria or Iraq. He is an idol worshiper. He comes and Balak wants him to curse Israel. And so he worships the gods of his land. And he says, I can't use the gods of my land because we're this is Israel. They can't curse Israel because Israel has their God. You understand? So he says, I got to get the permission of the God of Israel to curse them. Because he believes in his gods, but they can't curse because they're over there in their, his land of Mesopotamia. So I got to get the God of this Israelites to curse them, get permission. Of course, God said, no, don't curse them. He was a pagan. He wasn't a worshiper of the one God of the Bible. God said, don't do it. God still... I want you to think about that. Even though he was a pagan, we'll use the term loosely, prophet, involved in magic and divination and served other gods, I want you to think about this. The one God of Israel spoke to him. And even gave him prophecy about the rising of the star. Are you with me? Woo. He whose right it is shall come. I mean, if someday, Lord willing, we'll take time to preach the prophecies of Balaam. It'll blow your mind what God showed that man. And he was a pagan. Okay? Another example of this... Henotheism is 2 Kings 5, 15-17 where Nahum, after God heals him of his leprosy, he, still, you know, he believes in his local geographical deities. So what does he do? <clears throat> he says there's... After he was healed by the God of Israel, he said there's no other God but the God of Israel. And he says, so what I need to do is because he believed in this geographical deity... He said, I gotta, because he lives in Israel, I gotta go get a little dirt from Israel, and I gotta take some Israel to my land so I can worship this God. 
Okay, no, serious. And he built a little mound of dirt and worshiped the God of Israel because he believed he had to ha take some Israel because God was only located in Israel. Okay. So that's why they do some of these strange things. On divination, I'll give you a few examples where the witch of Endor, 1 Samuel 28, 7-11, talking to the dead, is used not normal and normal Israelite practice. Divination necromancy is inquiring of the dead, the future. Ezekiel 21, 21 is the shaking of the arrows. Idols are consulted. Reading of the liver. And I explained that to you already. Okay. Um, let me go on to Samuel. Samuel was a transitional prophet, Acts 13, 20, Acts 3, 20, uh, 3, Acts 3, just read Acts 3 till you get to Samuel. 1 Samuel 9, 6, he was a man of God. 1 Samuel 9, 13, he was also as a priest offering sacrifices. One Samuel, he was a prophet, priest, and a judge. 1 Samuel 9, 9, he's called a seer to see. 1 Samuel 10, 1, he anoints kings. 1 Samuel 19, 20, He's in charge of the prophets. 1 Samuel 13, 8-14, He counsels kings. 1 Samuel 15, 22, confronts the king. So He critiqued the established order. Alright? That's everything that He did. He was a transitional prophet. Let me say this. When you read everything that Samuel did, if you're a prophet of the Lord or a preacher or whatever, you read everything Samuel did, you think, man, that, I can do all that. Not all the prophets did everything that Samuel did. You better be careful. Or I'll, I'll be like Samuel. Really? You're going to be like Samuel? You're going to anoint kings? You're going to be in charge of prophets? You're going to confront kings? You're going to... Rem you're going to go to a king when they mess up and say, I'm kicking you off the throne? You didn't obey God, Saul, so I'm kicking you off the throne? Now, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people, that they might have gifts from God, but they're full of ego and they're full of pride. Because let me, so you'll understand my point is that not every prophet does everything that the prophet Samuel did. Okay. You gotta go. You gotta know uh, your call. You know. In the days of David, David established the political history of Israel, united the north and the south, capital in Jerusalem. David was a great man. He's really the one that put it all together, as far as politically is concerned, the nation. He conquered the old city of Jerusalem took it from the Jebusites. It did not belong to Israel, the ten tribes, and it did not belong to Judah. It belonged to David. That's why it was called the city of David. Because he's the one that conquered it. That great king, King David, relied upon the prophets for advice. Okay? So, that's before the writing prophets, obviously. Uh, example, 2 Samuel 7, 2-3. through 3. 
Then we have Elijah. You know how Elijah is. He was, he was a royal confronter. He walked right in front of Ahab, man. He told him what for. You know? I mean, can you think of Ahab and Jezebel? And this man walks right in front of them. He says, God before whom I stand. That means if I can stand before God and not be intimidated, I'm for sure not intimidated by you, Ahab. He said, I stand before God all the time. So I have no problem coming and telling you off. He was a royal confronter. You better be careful. Okay, I'm not, I'm, I'm just going to say this. You better be careful. If somebody's really anointed by God like Elijah. If they stand before God and they're not intimidated to be before God, you better be careful standing up to them. Okay? And that's what he said. I said I he said, I stand before God. I'm not worried about you, Ahab. <laughs> You're a whip puppy anyway. Jezebel's got you around her finger, man. A wimp. You can't have a Jezebel without an Ahab. Ahab's weak. Anyway. I'm telling you the truth. Elijah was a royal confronter. Hallelujah. He had the gift of confrontation, man. One Kings sixteen thirty through thirty one Ahab, and then we have seventeen eighteen. He's called the man of God. In eighteen, we twenty two. You can check me. He's called a prophet. In eighteen thirty six, he's called a servant again. So those terms we covered already about who the prophets are. He was called those. Man of God, servant, under the authority of God, servant, serve God, you know, prophet of the Lord. Okay, man. How would y'all, how many of y'all like to be like Elijah? I'd like to be Elijah, man. Okay, look, I'm almost done. Can you believe that? Hallelujah. Next time I won't, God willing, I won't bring my notebook and I'll finish a lot faster. But the prophets, when they came, their primary problem was with a, a Canaanite deity called Baal, Baal, called Baal worship. Okay, will you hang with me? Y'all can stand up for just a minute. Stand up, get your legs, get circulation in your legs. Y'all been real good. I told you this is going to be a tough one. Stretch your arms, hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. Flex your muscles. Okay, sit down, give me five minutes. Okay, thank you. Thank you, I appreciate you. Appreciate you. Okay, Baal, worship. Baal was the Canaanite deity, it was the thunder god, the thunderstorm god of the Canaanites. And they relied upon this, this Baal. The chief deity of Canaan was Hadad. Say, Hadad. Now you children, you better be careful walking up to your dad and say, Hey dad! <laughs> your dad's probably going to slap you. What are you calling me a pagan deity or what? But Hadad was the chief Baal of Canaan. 
the, the thunderstorm God. Okay? The God of fertility. You'll see stones. He's got a club in his hand which represents the thunder or the lightning. Okay? Another hand, he's got lightning in his hand. Looks like a sheaf of grain. Under his feet, he's got water. It's depicted as human being. The Canaanites looked to Hadad to give them fertile crops to bless their crops. His girlfriend, Hadad, had a girlfriend. And her name was Asherah. Hadad and Asherah. She was the fertility goddess. And the people of Canaan worshipped Hadad and this fertility goddess Asherah. As they worshipped them, they believed that these gods, Baals, gave them prosperity. And Israel looked out their windows They saw their neighbors' crops growing large. And they were tempted to worship the God of the world. They looked at their crops and if they were not doing what they were supposed to do, the God was upon them and their crops were smaller than their neighbors. They were tempted to worship that pagan God. The Bible says in the book of Judges chapter 3 they worship the Baalim and Asherah. This was the primary problem that the prophets faced when they came. Was preaching to the people to return to the true God to forsake Baal, Baal and Asherah to worship the one God of the Bible. That's the problem they faced. They came and they preached in that present generation in that time telling them you're doing something wrong. Indictment. Judgment's coming. If you'll return to God or you'll repent, change your now, you'll change your future. You don't worship the God that your neighbor worships just because it looks like they have a better life than you do. They were constantly struggling against that pagan deity. And the Holy Ghost tonight, as you look out, maybe you see somebody not living for the Lord. Maybe you see some other church people not following standard of holiness you look at them and you say I think that I'm going to do what they do and worship how they worship looks like they got it a lot better than I do you'll be surrendering to the same kind of thing called syncretism a mixture of the worship of God with pagan deities those prophets stood up and called the people to change the now so that the future judgment wouldn't come upon them.
And then in doing so, God would bless their life once again. When the judgment came, God always had that promise at the end. He said, I'll restore and I'll recover and I'll deliver. At times, he, he, never, he didn't stop the judgment. At times, He didn't stop the judgment. But He said, when we get through it, I'll deliver you and restore you and recover you. And you'll have a glorious future. Amen. So, Lord willing, God willing, next week we'll begin the prophet Isaiah and we will see, we'll study His, his prophecy, His message. At times, we'll move into the fulfillment but really our focus is going to be on the message okay, of the prophets. So I hope you understand. hope this has helped you to understand prophecy, the way prophets, prophecy works, and the prophets. Amen. Let's stand. Father God, we thank you right now for your mercy and your grace in our life. We ask your blessing to rest upon us as a church. We declare, Lord, this night that You alone are God. That there is no other God but You. Father, we pray as we begin to study these prophets, Lord, that You're leading us to preach from. We'll hear the message of the prophet. As they go to the past to encourage the present, look to the future to encourage the present. Let us do the same. We declare there's one God, and we declare you're on the throne tonight, and you're in control of everything. Father God, we, we take steps tonight to repent, to return to you. Thank you, God, for giving us that opportunity to change the future as we do. We thank you for the prophets. We thank you for their message. We thank you for their commitment. We thank you for their life, their service. Father, as we preach and hear it, let us apply it to our lives and obey it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be sure and get Brother Tom.